Glory be to God. Let's go, church. Exciting, Keith. Keith Small, of course, member of our church, member of our worship team. You see him up here on an ongoing basis helping lead our worship. He's one of the thousand that have been looking for the one, the one that needs Jesus. And I'm so thankful for Keith and so many others that are looking missionally for the one in their life who needs the Lord. And I want you to see how the Lord works. Little could he have known, providentially, not accidentally, Ellery's cousin was also working on him. They didn't even know each other. But you understand, that's how the Spirit of God works, and there are people like that in your life. Ellery, thank you for letting us share your story from Colorado. Keith is now helping him begin to grow and disciple him, and that's one of our initiatives as a church, the Impossible Campaign, looking for a 1,000 people looking for the one, and stories are starting to roll in like keys of people doing that. We are in a time of suffering. I mean, for real. Uh, let's just call it the way it is. COVID has lasted longer than anybody fathom. The second surge seems to be worse than the first. I'm going to two funerals this week. I never dreamed I'd go to a week ago. How do you respond in times of suffering? It's very apropos. We're in First Peter chapter 4, As we study the Word of God together, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' inner circle, 30 years later, is writing to the early church at a time of suffering. And what does God want to do in the suffering? There is a purpose in the pain. And do you understand that suffering creates an opportunity? Suffering is a catalyst that God uses to grow us into Christ's likeness so that we can bring Him greater glory. And that is what God wants to do in your life. Wherever you are, whatever trial, tribulation, persecution, the early church that Peter's writing to is in abject poverty. Nero is on the throne in Rome. He has unleashed a bloody persecution on these early Christians. And Peter is now writing to encourage them in the middle of this profound suffering. And church, his words ring more relevant, I think, today in the 21st century American society. We're now living where it seems that suffering is everywhere, where wickedness seems to be reigning and righteousness seems to be retreating. What shall we do and how now shall we live? And that is what Peter is talking about today. In the middle of the pain, how do we let God use it so that we can bring him greater glory? And that's what 1 Peter is about over and over again. Peter comes back to this theme beginning in chapter 1. Several months ago, we studied chapter 1. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance undefiled, incorruptible, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by faith, ready to be revealed in the last time. He said, in this you greatly rejoice. Independence, in this you greatly rejoice. They're not excited here in Lee Summit. Blue Springs, in this you greatly rejoice, all right? Let me say that again. There is a living hope. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. All right, we're excited in Lee Summit now about Jesus. Listen, Jesus isn't, Peter's reminding this early church in the middle of this horrific persecution, trial, tribulation, in the middle of the fire, you're not without hope. There's a living hope. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Unless Jesus dies and stays dead, you're not without hope (laughs) because this life is not all it is. It's not all that matters. There is something else on the other side that is going to last forever. He says, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now... First Peter chapter one, 
you live in the nasty now and now. Even though we can think about the sweet by and by, what about the here and now? He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, if need be, you have been grieved through various trials. Why? That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory Jesus Christ at his appearing. You see, your faith is revealed in the fires of life, and your faith is refined in the trials of life, so that we can give God greater glory. That's what God wants to do right now. And the church of Jesus Christ is rising up all across this land. There are children of God, bought by the blood of the Son of God, that are rising up for the first time and saying, I'm gonna let God show me the purpose in the pain. And I wanna show you three things today that Peter's writing to the early church in the middle of their pain that I'm convinced is just as relevant today in the middle of our COVID pain, in the middle of our economic pain or whatever pain you're going through personally, there is purpose in the suffering. Number one is this, it ought to make us wanna live with urgency. It ought to make us wanna live with urgency. I mean, there is a complete redistribution of life's priorities. And this is what God is doing in the first century church. Look at what he writes this church at a time of suffering, 1 Peter 4 and verse 7. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. He reminds this church that it is not gonna last forever. Whatever you're going through is not gonna last forever. Your life is not gonna last forever. The end of all things is at hand. Now, if Peter were standing here today preaching this message personally instead of Pastor Phil, I think Peter would probably say 2,000 years later, after he wrote this 2,000 years ago, that the end of the end, that the end of the end, of the end of the end is at hand. I mean, if the end of all things was at hand 2,000 years ago, what would he say today? Like, we're living at the end of the end of the end of the end of all things. You see, theologically, the last days began 2,000 years ago with the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. The last dispensation and God's plan for man began. We talk about as the church of the 21st century, well, we're in the last days, and we can certainly see the signs prophetically that Jesus talked about, and it looks a lot like Jesus described shortly before he would return. But you understand, theologically, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. With Jesus' ascension back into heaven, the last days began, which means 2,000 years later, we can say with certainty, we're living in the last of the last of the last days. The end of all things is at hand. Now, here's the reality. We ought to live with urgency if we really believe we live on the threshold of eternity. It ought to cause us to live with urgency for the things that last eternally. And Peter tells him, listen, if indeed the end of all things is at hand, we need to be serious and watchful in our prayers. In other words, we ought to take our Christian walk to another level. We need to take it up a notch. Uh, in sports, we call it, listen, play up to the competition, don't play down. Take your faith to another level. Take your prayer life to another level. He says you ought to be serious and watchful. This word here in the Greek, serious, implies sobriety. In other words, it's the opposite of being under the influence or intoxicated. He's saying don't be intoxicated with the things of the world, with all the distractions and all the diversion. Don't be under the influence of the temporal twinkies and of the world, the things that won't last forever, that don't really matter. He's saying, listen, you need to be sober-minded. And then he says to be watchful. It has to do with your focus, your focus in life. 
He's saying, if you believe, you're gonna see Jesus soon, and church, we will all see Jesus soon. Yeah, woohoo! Woohoo by ourselves. Church, we, we, we ought to be excited we're gonna see Jesus soon. I mean, really. Whether Jesus comes for us in the rapture and it will happen someday to a generation that will never feel the sting of death, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we shall be forevermore with the Lord. He says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Take comfort that one day it will be the end of all things, the reconciliation of all creation. Paradise lost is paradise regained. And there's gonna be a generation of Christians that never feel the sting of death. You're gonna be getting ready for work on a Monday morning, dreading to go to work. How many of you think tomorrow morning would be a good idea, huh? <laughs> Jesus? But listen, even if we're not that generation, do you understand? James 4.14, what is your life? It's even a little vapor that's here for a little while, then vanishes away. One day it's gonna be the end of all things. You're gonna see Jesus. You're gonna stand in front of him. It's gonna be the end, but that's not the end. It's just the beginning. And that ought to make us live with some sense of urgency for the things that matter eternally. And we're living at the end of all things, and we ought to be watching, we ought to be focused. Listen, fear is everywhere. People are paralyzed by fear. Uh, fear of COVID. Uh, fear of the economic recovery or lack thereof, fear of losing my job, fear of this, fear of that. Listen, there's a good fear, there's a bad fear. I learned this years ago as a member of the SWAT team on the KCPD. There is a bad fear where a lot of people are just paralyzed by fear. This is the bad fear that just makes you wanna curl up in a fetal position and just wait for Jesus to come back, right? It's kind of the deer in the headlight look, like I'm frozen with fear. That's the bad fear. But there's a good fear, guys. Listen carefully. The fear of the unknown ought to cause you to be laser focused. So years ago, I remember that tinge of fear right before I would hit a door, and I was the ram man, and, and you don't know what's on the other side of that door. There's danger on the other side of that door, and there's this little tinge of fear about the unknown. What's on the other side of that door? Nobody knows in your life. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's on the other side of the door. You cannot control. And that fear will either paralyze you or that fear will give you greater focus. And I remember what happened with that little tinge of fear right before we'd serve a search warrant. I was the ram man, bam. That little tinge of fear, what happens is you are laser-like focused. Every single sense you have is at high alert. And it's that little tinge of fear where all of a sudden you've got these heightened senses and you have this laser-like focus. You see, that is what Peter's talking about. We need to live with some laser-like focus on the things of God. In this world where there are so many things that are out of control that you cannot control, you wanna take your sensitivity to the Spirit of God to a whole nother level. That's what Peter's teaching this early church, that in the middle of the suffering, and you don't know how long it's gonna last or how bad it's gonna get, let God do this in your life. Live with a greater urgency, with a laser-like focus on the things that last for eternity, because the end of all things is at hand. And this is a repeated theme in the Apostle Peter's ministry. Peter was one of the inner three of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew him personally, and he would often 
and write about eschatology, the study of end times. It was something that Peter was very interested in. As a matter of fact, according to Mark chapter 13, Peter's name specifically is asking Jesus, Jesus, what will be the sign of the end and the signs of your coming? Now, I want you to notice something. Peter doesn't tell us exactly when. Because if anybody would have known exactly when Jesus was coming, it would have been Peter. But he never tells us. He just says, we're living at the time of the end. Let's live like it. You know why Peter doesn't tell us? Because Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. I'm coming like a thief in the night. So if you think you know specifically the day and the hour that Jesus is coming, please keep it to yourself. Because if it were true, now Jesus will change his mind. Okay? So I'm not going to be setting any dates for the return of Jesus. All I'm saying is it looks a lot like Jesus said it would. Now, Peter wrote about this often. He really did. His second letter, we studied a year ago right now, his second letter. We're studying his first letter right now. A year ago, we're studying his second letter. And Peter wrote about this extensively in his second letter. He wrote about Christ's return because it's nearer than it's ever been. Peter didn't give us a date. I'm not about to give you a date, but I can say emphatically that we are nearer to Christ's return than we've ever been. You know how I know? Because it's 2,000 years later. Deep, ain't it? Peter never said a date, but he was looking for the return of Christ. He was anticipating the return of Christ. He was anticipating the day that he was going to see him. Peter is writing this letter at this very moment while Nero is on the throne and he knows his days are numbered. Peter has the sense that my days are limited and indeed he will be martyred by Nero sometime as he's writing this letter in 64 AD, sometime within the next two or three years, Peter is gonna be crucified upside down. He has the sense that the end is near. And church, we all, I hope, have more of a sense than ever of our own mortality. Like death is nearer than many of us ever imagine. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. The death rate for all of us is still one for one. Yeah, that's a real happy thought, I know. But we need to think in terms of it's not going to last forever. How will I live? We don't get to choose when we live, but we do get to choose how we will live. And Peter was motivated by this sense that one day it's going to be the end. And I want to stand before him, having lived with urgency for the things that really matter, the things of eternity. Second Peter 3.3 3 said this, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He's saying, hey, in the last days, scoffers are going to scoff, haters are going to hate. And I'm pretty sure Peter was thinking about our day. Scoffers scoff at the idea of Christ coming back. You Christians, you're crazy. What, are you guys crazy? You really believe Jesus is coming back? This is what I can say with certainty. I am convinced, and I can prove this historically, the same way you prove any event happened in history, I can prove beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus came back from the dead, that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead, that he came out of the grave. Now, here's the deal. If indeed Jesus came out of the grave, I like my odds for him coming back. I'm sticking with Jesus. You can scoff if you want to. It's all good. You make up your mind, I've made up mine. 
Scoffers going to scoff, haters going to hate. That's what Peter was saying. But it gives us a clue. While we wait for the return of Jesus Christ, and this is one of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. For whatever else Christians disagree on, every Christian believes in the second coming of Christ. It's something Jesus talked about often. He gave us a clue. We don't know when, but he gave us a clue in 2 Peter 3, 8. He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years has one day. You see, God does not exist in our place and our space, this three-dimensional space and place. He exists in eternity that's outside of time and space. In the mind of God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Now, Peter's giving us a clue about the second coming. There's a pattern. God is a God of patterns. If you want to know what God is doing, just look what God has done. If you want to see where God is going, just look behind you at where God has been. There's a clue here. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. Jesus was in the grave and disappeared for two days. He reappeared on the third day. Now, it's 2021 A.D., which makes 1000 A.D. the end of the first day, 2000 A.D. the end of the second day. Church, it is 2021, which means we are living at the dawn of the third day. We are living at the beginning of the third day. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. He reappeared on the third day. I don't know for sure, but I think just maybe Jesus Christ is on the way. And a lot of what we're seeing in our day is setting the table. You can't understand biblical prophecy if you don't know a little about history. Jesus told us to look at history to understand prophetically his second coming. Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. He was teaching. You want to know what it's going to be like right before I come back? Go back and study what it was like in the days of Noah. It's looking a lot like it did in the days of Noah. He said in Luke chapter 21, as it was in the days of Lot, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. He said, you want to know what it's going to be like right before I come back? Go back and study what it was like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm. Gee, it looks a lot like that. See, Jesus was teaching. You want to know what God is doing? Just look at what God has done. Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, Jesus gave a sign of his coming. He said, pestilences, plural, is a sign of his coming. We use the word today, pandemic. Now, to his first century audience, that couldn't have been a sign. You know why? Because... Those living in the ancient world were used to pandemics. It was a part of life. He must have been talking about another generation, another civilization that weren't used to pandemics because if it was normal, it wouldn't be a sign. See, pandemics are normal to human history, but they're not normal at all to you and me living in modern life in the 21st century. Pestilence is plural. Church, I need to tell you this. We're never going back to the world that was before COVID. There's always gonna be another variant. It's one of the signs Jesus talked about, the early, early signs, the beginnings of the birth pangs he talked about. How long is that? I don't know. What I know is this, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. The God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We need not live in fear, paralyzed by fear. We can live instead with focus.
And we need to live with urgency for the things that matter eternally. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack. He's not slow concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus is, or Peter is teaching that while Jesus delays in his promise of his coming, it ought to give us a heart for what God has a heart for, and God has a heart for the repentance of men and women. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to use you as one that has been found, like God used Keith to go find one that was lost. His friend Ellery, do you understand that that is the mission now of every Christian, because God is not willing that any should perish. And I want you to notice Keith, because he was watchful in his prayers, he was focused in his prayers, he was sober-minded, he wasn't in this thing of distraction and diversion, he understands the mission, God put it on his heart to call a man he hadn't talked to in years. So that's what Peter's talking about. We ought to be living with urgency, with a laser-like focus for the things that matter eternally. We should be living with urgency for the things of eternity. I'm talking about finding your one. Keith found his, how about you? There are people in your life that desperately need Jesus. You've got hope, you've got living hope. We live at a time without hope. The world is desperate for hope. People are more willing than ever to have a gospel conversation because they're looking for answers, they're looking for hope. We have the answer. Let's share with the world the living hope. It's Jesus. And there's no greater opportunity, not in my lifetime, probably not in yours. It might be somebody you know, it might be somebody you don't know. Listen, everywhere you go can end up being a mission trip. My wife does this better than anybody I know. She does this better than me. Okay, so Friday morning, we drive over to Town Center Plaza over in Leewood or Overland Park, somewhere in Johnson County, Kansas, kind of out of our neighborhood. Uh, you know, it's not a place we go all the time, and when I saw the prices, <laughs> I realized why. But it's kind of out of our neighborhood. Um, if you haven't seen us for a while, want to find us, Walmart, Lee Summit, just hang out there, you'll eventually run into us, okay? Target. But this is out of our neighborhood, that's important, I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. So we go into this furniture store. Now me, I'm on task. My task is to get in and get out as fast as I can. I'm not thinking about having a gospel conversation, but my wife, we're going into the store. There's this other couple kind of lingering by the door, about to leave the store. And I'm walking by and I hear her say, hey, I want to talk to them. So we stop and they have these Love KC shirts on, not our Abundant Life Love KC shirts on, but you know, you see a lot of these Love KC shirts, hearts and KC. And, and uh, she says, I love your t-shirts. And they immediately beamed and said, thank you. And, and uh, she's building a bridge. You can always build a bridge in some way. In this case, it was t-shirts. I love your t-shirts. And then almost immediately says, do you have a faith? I'm like, well, let's just jump in. Forget the niceties. Let's get to the point. You going to heaven or hell? No, she, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. All right, that's probably a conversation stopper, okay? Get to that later. So she just jumps right in. Do you have a faith? There, there it is. We're in now. I mean, gospel conversation. I, I was on a trip to a furniture store. She was on a trip. She's on a mission trip. Everywhere you go can be a mission trip. 
And so we're talking, and we're trying to build this bridge around the t-shirts. And I tell them, you know, we do the serving day once a year, and we do this carnival, and uh, everybody that serves has a t-shirt kind of like that. It's our abundant life shirt, but, you know, it says love KC. And so we're kind of building this bridge around the t-shirt, and we've invited them to come to church, and they don't know that I'm the pastor. I'm kind of undercover, right? And all of a sudden, I'm talking about our Abundant Life Love KC shirts, which if you serve at the carnival, you can get one right out there in the foyer before you leave. You'll know what I'm talking about. And as I'm talking about our T-shirts, somebody walks through the door of this furniture store, a member of our church, and he's wearing the Love KC Abundant Life shirt. I'm describing the shirt. I literally look up. He walks through the doors, and I say, well, it's right there. There it is. I'm telling you, these people had to go, where's the camera? This is a setup. (laughs) We're not in our neighborhood. I mean, we're completely out of our neighborhood. We don't go there very often. Out of nowhere, this guy walks through the door wearing our Love KC shirt. You say, oh, that's just coincidental. I would suggest that is providential. But see, had my wife not been sensitive to the Spirit of God, I would have walked on by. This is what Peter's talking about. Be sober, be serious-minded, be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Be focused, be watchful. She saw an opportunity, I didn't. Here's the point. Those divine appointments come and go, and if you're not prepared, came and went. And that's what Peter's saying. Live with a sense of urgency for the things that matter, and the souls of men and women in the end is all that will matter. Number two, love fervently. Live with urgency. Let suffering, let pain do this for you, that you take your Christian life to another level. Pain has the power to up your game. Live with urgency, love fervently. Look what Peter tells us early church. The ancient days in the Roman world was a world of hostility, animosity, racism, discrimination, sin, suffering, immorality, depravity, debauchery. Sounds kind of familiar to me. Look what Peter says we ought to do about it. Verse eight, and above all things, most important thing he's gonna say. You know how I know? He says above all things. The Bible's so hard to understand, isn't it? I hear it all the time. Pastor Phil, I just read it, can't understand it. Boy, that's, that's, that's tough. Above all things. He's saying, church, most important thing I'm gonna say. Here it is. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. How many of you think this kind of love has the power to change the world? This kind of love changed the ancient world. The ancient world, not like, unlike our world, is dog eat dog. It was survival of the fittest. There was no such thing as human rights, civil rights. You had no rights. If you were not a Roman citizen, you had a right to be dead. That was about it. But this kind of love changed ancient civilization. He says, above all, have fervent love for one another. That word fervent in the Greek implies a stretching. This kind of love will stretch you. 
Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that means to strain, as in a runner that's at the end of a long, hard race, and he is straining to break the tape. And Peter's saying, this kind of love ought to stretch you, it ought to strain you, because this is not a natural love, it's not a human love, it is a divine love, fervent love, that word love is agape, that word love, agape, is personified by Jesus on the cross. It was fervent love that pushed a crown of thorns upon Jesus' head. It was his fervent love for you. It was fervent love that allowed sinful hands to whip his back and fillet him like a fish. He did that love for you. It was fervent love that nailed Jesus through the cross. It took the nails for you. It was the fervent love of God for you that had a Roman spear pierce his side. Do you understand? That kind of love is costly. It's going to cost you. But that is the kind of love that Jesus had for you. No, he didn't wait for little old lovable you to become lovable to love you. Aren't you glad? No, it's Romans 5, 8 kind of love. God demonstrated his love for you and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He says to have that fervent love for one another. Peter undoubtedly remembers what Jesus said the night before his death, 30-some years earlier. He was there when he heard Jesus say, recorded in John 13, 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, so you ought also to love one another. He said, by this will all men know that you're the real deal, by your love one for another. He's saying fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now listen, the love of God, that fervent love, has cleansed us of our sin. My love for you can't cleanse you of your sin, but my love for you can cover your sin. What does that mean? It doesn't mean cover up sin. Love does not enable bad behavior. Love never becomes a license to sin. Love doesn't look the other way and call it not a sin. If it is a sin, love looks at the sin and says, I love you anyway. That's the kind of love we need, not just out there, but in here. Because we live at a time that says, if you disagree, we're enemies. No, why do we have to be enemies just because we disagree? Who made that rule up anyway? See, we live at a time in our civilization of tribalism and division and hostility and animosity and politicization and polarization, and, and we live at this time where everybody chooses a side, and if you don't agree with me, well, you obviously hate me, you're my enemy, and no love covers a multitude of sins. What that means is we can disagree, and we're going to love each other anyway. That, I think, is the kind of love that our world needs. Today more than ever. There's a lot on which we can disagree. Because this kind of love loves unconditionally. This kind of love loves sacrificially. Take this kind of love into your marriage. There are times your spouse is going to sin or just have a differing opinion. They're going to be in a bad moment. Guess what they need you to do? Cover them. Because this kind of love covers sin. Doesn't cover up sin, covers sin. Honey, it's okay. I've had a bad day too. See, this kind of love gives forgiveness away freely. This kind of love gives grace away freely. Now look at what he says. He says, be hospitable one to another without grumbling, hospitality, hospitable. You know what this means? This is love in action. It does no good to say I love you and do nothing. 
See, agape love always does something. It doesn't mean we have to have a warm, fuzzy feeling for each other. We think love is purely an emotion. No, this kind of love is not simply an emotion. This kind of love is a call to action. And that call to action may include emotion or it may not. See, hospitality is love in action. Hospitality is putting your love in motion. And you may or may not have emotion. You don't have to have a warm, fuzzy feeling for somebody to love them. See, that's the love of God that we need to give away because that's the love of God that God gave us in every single way. And the early Christians took this kind of love and changed the world. They were living proof of a loving God to a watching world. I love studying extra biblical sources about people who weren't Christians at the time who wrote about them because it tells us a lot about them. How did they change the world against all odds? The year was 362 AD. Emperor Julian was reigning as the Roman emperor. He writes to pagan priests complaining about the growth of Christianity and blaming it on the churches, here it is, benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead. He said, it is a disgrace that the impious Galileans, Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Don't you love this? He's writing to his pagan priest going, hey, how do we stop Christianity from spreading? You guys, listen, the Christians take care of not only of their poor, but they take care of our poor better than we take care of our own. He's saying, hey, pick up your game, would you? <laughs> but of course they didn't. You see, the early church changed the world not simply because of what they said, but what they did. The world was watching and the world was changed by what they saw. And I would suggest the world is still watching, but the problem is they haven't been changed by what they see. Let's change that today. Let's be living proof of a loving God to a watching world, living with urgency, loving fervently, and number three, serving sacrificially. Look what Peter says. He says this to a suffering church. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter is telling us every person here is a child of God. You have received the Son of God. You thereby received the Spirit of God, which means you have received a spiritual gift. Are you using it? Do you even know what it is? Most Christians don't even know their spiritual gift. This is not a natural born talent. This is something supernatural, something you got the moment you were born again. The Spirit of God came to live within. All of a sudden, you got a gift, a supernatural gift you didn't have before. And you know what? It's an act of God's grace. And we're to be stewards, good stewards of the grace of God. You know why I preach almost every week for the last 21 years? because it's my spiritual gift. I'm simply stewarding the grace of God in my life. And I will promise you, if I'm able to bless you in any way through preaching, it is not because Phil is so great. Phil is not that great, trust me. If you knew me, really, personally, up close, you'd go, well, he's just a normal guy. Yeah, if you knew me pre-Pastor Phil, you'd go, he's the least likely guy I know to be a preacher. Really, seriously. What I am and what I have is just the grace of God. It's the grace of God in my life. What does that mean? I preach because I'm a steward of what's not mine. It wasn't mine to get. It was God's to give. Stewardship simply means I'm responsible for something that's not mine. Now, here's the deal. You may not have the gift to preach, but you have a gift. Are you stewarding it? Are you using it? 
Listen, I've watched COVID in the last 18 months have one of two reactions on people. I've watched people who were part-time Christians, one foot in, one foot out, all of their life, all of a sudden they decide, I am all in. Sign me up. I am all in. And I've watched other people who used to be all in. Now they got one foot out. I watch it happen with people my age. Middle age, 38 years old. (laughs) Or a little bit older. But I'm watching people happen at my age. Like, your kids are raised, got them through college, I have more time and money than I've ever had, I'm gonna go on vacation permanently. I, I watch it. People that used to serve consistently, faithfully, back in the kids' wing, Sunday school teacher, small group leaders. I mean, you used to minister, you served. You're one of the pillars of the church. And all of a sudden, you hit an age, middle age, where you think, I'm going to retire from serving Jesus early and go on vacation. Do you understand the end of all things is near? Are you going to steward your gift? Let's finish the race. Let's finish strong. Any time for a rocking chair? I've watched other people, listen, COVID has made us lazy. If you're worshiping from home as a part of our online campus, that counts now. You're 100% in. You don't have to be here to be here. If you're worshiping from home because you're immune deficient and you don't want to come on site, I totally get it. But for some of us, honestly, it's pajama church. It's just easy. It's easier to be lazy. That's what COVID has done. It's time to get back in the game. Get in the game. Because it's going to be the end. Do you understand? The clock is winding down. The buzzer's about to sound. The end of all things is at hand. And there are days I want to ride off into the sunset too, and I want to pass the baton to somebody else to get to, and, and I understand how you're tired and weary, and, 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 and sometimes you're just so busy. Listen, I totally understand that. I totally get that. But do you understand that one day we're going to see Jesus? What more motivation do we need to stay in the game? Let's win it no matter how hard it is. Let's win it. Everybody has a gift. You've got a part to play. You've got a position. Look at what he says. If anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. You know what? Every single week, I get an email from somebody that thinks they know what I ought to say when I get up here. Just so you understand, where the Bible speaks, the church needs to speak. Where the Bible is silent, the church needs to be silent. You're not going to hear me preach from the New York Times bestseller list or this latest psycho babble to make your life better. What you need are the oracles of God. If anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. That means with the very words of God. Why? Because the words of God are life. That's why we're going to preach the Bible. We're going to preach the Word of God to the people of God because it's the Word that brings life. Does everyone speak? Let them speak with the oracles of God. We're going to stick with the Word of God. And I'm just being honest with you. We live at a time where everybody wants Pastor Phil to pick a side. And where the Bible picks a side, I'll pick a side. And where the Bible doesn't pick a side, I'm not going to pick a side. Because you need the oracles of God, the word of God, not the word of Phil. 
I'll share my opinion at times, and I'll tell you it's just my opinion, but for the most part, we're just gonna preach the oracles of God because that's, that's why we're here. Now listen, there are speaking gifts, there are serving gifts. Look at what he says. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. There are speaking gifts, there are serving gifts. Now listen, if you have a speaking gift, doesn't mean that you don't get to serve. No, you still have to serve. <laughs> and some of us have a serving gift. Well, I don't really have a speaking gift. That doesn't mean you don't ever get to speak, whether it's discipling someone one-on-one -on -one or sharing the gospel with someone one-on-one. -on -one. You need to speak with the oracles of God. The word of God needs to be quick on your lips. We need to think with the mind of God, the word of God. But I want you to see how God has put the body together. We don't all have the same gift because we don't all play the same position. You think about this carnival that we're about to do for our city, a party with a purpose. All the gifts of the body of Christ come together to make it happen. Romans chapter 12 gives us a list of some of those gifts. You got the gift of administration. That's the gift of organization. You've got the gift of leadership, vision. Somebody has to, you know, kind of a, be the cheerleader, the champion for it. You've got the gift of helps, the gift of serving. Hundreds of people are gonna serve that day to make it happen. You've got the gift of generosity. The Bible calls it the gift of giving. It wouldn't happen if people weren't given generously. We need a whole bunch of donations for bottled water. We need a whole bunch of donations for soda pop, preferably Dr. Pepper. <laughs> uh, we need some donations for hot dogs. See, that's what I'm saying. It's the gift of giving. It wouldn't happen if people weren't giving generously, financially. It's a spiritual gift. Everybody's supposed to give, but not everybody has the gift of giving. Some of us have that gift. And that's why we're able to be living proof of a living God. And that is how all these gifts work together in the body of Christ. If you don't know your gift, go to the Next Steps class. One Sunday is about your spiritual gift. You'll take a shape assessment. You'll find a place to play. And when you're playing in the right position, you'll be amazed at how much you enjoy serving Jesus. Verse 11, why do we do it? That God may be glorified. That's why we do it. That's the only reason we do it. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Now he says amen, not because he's done writing the letter, he's got a whole other chapter, but he's finished this thought, the most important thought, like there is coming a day that Jesus Christ the King is coming back to establish a kingdom, and his glory, his majesty, his dominion will last forever and ever and ever, and all the scoffers gonna scoff, and the haters gonna hate, but all of a sudden Jesus is coming back, and it's gonna be the end, amen. <laughs> amen, the end, but it's not the end. It's gonna be thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. And sweet friend, you can use your whole life to build your own little kingdom of dust and dirt that will one day decay and fade away. Or you can use your life to build a kingdom that will last forever. The world kingdoms rise and fall. Nations rise and fall. I know you don't wanna hear me say this, but we live in a dying nation, a nation in decline. We live in a nation whose star rose and that star is now slowly, gradually falling. Aren't you glad 
that you're more than simply an American citizen. You are a kingdom citizen, a citizen of heaven, a part of the Jesus nation, the chosen generation. You're part of a kingdom that's gonna last forever. Do you know him? Have you placed your faith in him? If you have not, do not delay. Today is the day because the end of all things is at hand. Jesus, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. That not one among us would leave today without making certain of our salvation over in Blue Springs, Independence, even online, right here in this Lee Summit Auditorium, if you're not certain today that you're part of that kingdom, that you really truly know Jesus, that you're ready for eternity, there's gonna be people standing at the front of each platform at every campus ready to receive you and pray with you, answer questions for you. If you're watching online, there's gonna be a link that you can click on and somebody will respond and reach out and talk to you personally about how you can make ready to be certain of your home eternally. I pray God for every person. I pray for the body of Christ, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would up our game in a season of suffering that would motivate us to live with urgency, to love fervently, to serve sacrificially until we see you one day personally and one day we will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give him the glory with me? Praise him, would you, church?